Uh, great job, kids. That was awesome. No indoor voices here. Uh, thank you, Molly, for that wonderfully uh, interactive telling of the greatest day in human history. Um, as we just witnessed, Molly invited our children to enter into the experience of some of the people that were there that beautiful morning as told in Luke's account. This morning, a few pages to the right in the Gospel of John, we're invited to enter into the experience of seemingly the most unlikely person in Jerusalem, to be the very first person to witness the most important event in human history. Not Jesus' mother, not one of the apostles, not the Pharisees to prove who he said he was, but Mary, the one from Magdala. It's a fishing town on the western shores of the Sea of Galilee. Mary, the, the one from whom Jesus expelled seven demons. Mary, one of the last ones to leave Golgotha, the place of the cross, and Mary, the very first one to make it to his tomb. This morning, we travel with Mary Magdalene to the tomb on the very first Easter. This is from John chapter 20, and I'll be reading starting in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. We don't know 100% why Mary was there that morning, but we can make a pretty educated guess. She's coming out of grief. She's still heartbroken over the death of the one who did so much for her, and so her heart moved her feet towards the tomb. When she gets there, though, she sees that the stone that yesterday was there has been rolled away. Now, in those days, um, tombs were closed with these huge rocks that look like circles, and they would um, actually carve out of the bedrock there this, um, this groove, and so this huge stone that weighed tons would kind of fall into place, thus sealing up the tomb. That was for lots of reasons. Here's the translation. Nobody's getting in and nobody is getting out. Once it is set, it is immovable. But like many things on this first Easter morning, hope springs. As she arrives, the, the stone has been rolled away from the entrance. It is not where it should be. The death enclosure has been reversed. Verse two, so Mary ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. You know, the miracle of Easter is about what is not there, Jesus' body. The tomb is empty. Now, verse 4, we've got a bit of comedic gold. I don't know if you caught it earlier. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, and both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. In verse 2... Mary's running. Now in verse 4, Peter and John are running. It seems that the Jerusalem rock and roll half marathon is coming up or something, and they're training. And John, by the way, is the one that's writing this gospel, and so he just kind of just throws it out there that he's much faster than Simon Peter. <laughs> I like your style, John. Verse 6, and so Simon Peter came following him. There it is again. It's these little... And he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloths 
cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up nicely in a place by itself. So Peter may not have been a sub-seven pace like John, but he's not lacking in courage. He goes right into this tomb, and he discovers the burial cloths. He sees the linens folded, um, and it's, it's as if the body has just kind of evaporated from within. And then, of course, as Molly pointed out, the face cloth is wrapped neatly. Nothing is disheveled or disarranged. It's not been a grave robber. Something miraculous is afoot. Verse 8, then the other disciple, the one who reached the tomb first. That's three times he points out how fast he is. That guy, the fast one, also went in, and he saw, and he believed. So John goes in, he sees the claws lying there, and he believes, simple and plain. He doesn't understand the depth of this moment and what his eyes have just seen but he sees and believes. Luke 24, as we just heard, says that Peter went home marveling at what had happened. Something cosmic had shifted for both John and for Peter. They're in holy shock as they make their way back home. And now in verse 11, we enter into Mary's story in earnest. But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. And as she wept, she stopped to look inside. So at this point, we see in our narrative that Mary has not yet gone into the tomb, and she stands outside and she's weeping. Remember, this is the one that Jesus had driven seven demons out of. This is the same one that he'd brought full restoration to her body, heart, mind, and soul. She was loyal to him for the rest of her days. She was one of the last to leave the crucifixion site. She's the very first one at the tomb this first day of the week, and she's weeping because he had changed her life. She's heartbroken, and in her immense grief, she finally peers in. She sees two angels. They're standing. The text says that it's white clothing, but imagine glowing clothing, high-vis. It's so bright you can barely, you have to shield your eyes. One is where the body of Jesus had lain, one at uh, the head, one at the feet. And they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? To which she replies, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. So what we find out here is that these two angels were not present when Peter and John, who are big deals, by the way, are there. So these two angels show up just for Mary from Magdala. Not for the apostles, the one for whom children and islands are named after, but Mary, the one from the fishing village, the one from whom Jesus had expelled these seven demons. And she stands there weeping because she thinks someone has stolen his body. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing. Listen up. But she did not know that it was him. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? It's the same question that the angels just asked her. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she says to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. You may not know this, but Easter is the most scripted of Sundays for guys like me, preachers. 
There are certain taglines, certain phrases, certain quips that I've been charged to say on days like this. But N.T. Wright said it best in my reading this week. He said, too often the, the story, the story of Easter in particular, and its meaning are flattened out into subsidiary truth, a belief in life after death, or the truth that Jesus is still alive, he's risen again, or even that we can come to know the God of the universe. While those are absolutely true, they do not help us enter into the story as deeply as this story that John is telling does. Wright continued, and he's pointing to the brilliance of this moment where Mary unknowingly sees Jesus correctly. She sees him as what? The gardener. This is what he says. He was indeed the gardener, though not the way that Mary thought. He was the true Adam, planting again the vineyard of Israel, bringing God's people home from the exile of death. So Mary is standing in between two angels and the garden maker, the one who spoke the Garden of Eden into existence, the one who invented daffodils and petunias and lilies, and she sees correctly, although she doesn't see crystal clear. She doesn't understand the full weight of this moment. When suddenly he utters the most melodic and beautiful word to her ears, he just says, Mary. Instantly, she knows who it is. She turned around and cried out to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And in this beautiful moment, only two words are said, but they say so much to us today. She could not see that it was him at first, but as soon as he spoke her name, she knew. She knew the good shepherd's voice, and he knew her. When he spoke her name, it was an arrow right to her heart. Um, Tom Kingman sent me a poem yesterday by Malcolm Geit, um, and it it, it puts us into that scene. This is from Easter Day and Sounding the Seasons. He blesses every love that weeps and grieves, and now he blesses her who stood and wept, and would not be consoled or leave her love's last touching place, but watched as low light crept. Up from the east, a sound behind stirs, a scatter of bright bird song through the air. She turns but cannot focus through her tears or recognize the gardener standing there. She hardly hears his gentle question, why? Why are you weeping or sees the play of light that brightens as she chokes out her reply? They took away my love, my day is night. And then she hears his name. She hears love say the word that turns her night and ours today. Do you know that you are loved by the creator of the universe? Have you ever heard him speak your name? If you have, you know that it slakes the thirst of your very soul. I also wonder if maybe you heard his voice earlier in your life. But it's been a while since you turned and let him speak some more. Um, if you've watched The Chosen, 
uh, the very first scene from the Chosen series. It shows a little girl from Magdala. She gets up in the middle of the night and she exits her family's tent and there her father sits at the fire and he tends it. And she comes to him and says, Daddy, I'm so scared. And then he recites from the Torah. He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. He's reminding his daughter of what God has said. The God of Israel in that moment was calling out her name. Then in a few scenes later, we see that 28 years later in her life, that very same God appears to her in the form of a dove as she is about to try and extinguish those voices in her head and heart. So she backs away from catastrophe and she follows this dove. And then in the next scene, she encounters the embodied Lord and he calls out to her, Mary, Mary of Magdala. When she asks who he is, he replies with this, thus says the Lord who created you and he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you I've called you by name. And he grabs her and he says, you're mine. If you haven't watched The Chosen, I would invite you this day to watch episode one of season one. It's beautiful. Take a second look. Maybe he was actually there in your darkest moment. Because he sees us, even when like Mary, we do not see him back. The resurrected Lord knows each one of us by name. In fact, he's known them for a very, very long time. The one who spoke the Garden of Eden into being has spoken through his life and his death and what we celebrate, especially this morning, his resurrection. He is risen and he is calling your name. As we move to Holy Communion, I wanna read a few verses over us. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Friends, that is the hope of Easter. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. God, we thank you for all that went into Holy Week. God, the rightful acclamation of you as King, the one who would save that we celebrated last week with palms. God, your last supper with your disciples. 
and how you taught them what the real meaning of Passover was, that it was coming into full view that very night. And God, your passion, your suffering and your death on Friday, and then the holy silence of Saturday. Alleluia, Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, amen.